Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a sobriety and wellness podcast where you'll hear honest experiences about navigating life and relationships without alcohol, how to pursue your own personal wellness journey, and share intimate conversations with special guests. I'm your host, Keisha Scott. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Done With Debauchery. This week's episode is the second part of my conversation with Nadine Melvina. She is the host of the Sober Butterfly podcast and one of my dear sober friends. Last week, Nadine and I had a great conversation about her early drinking days, the escalation of her drinking into alcoholism, and what moments eventually led to her choosing a life of sobriety. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I do suggest going back and listening to that one first to give you more context to our conversation today. As always, you can find Nadine's Instagram, website, and all ways to connect with her, listen to her podcast, and follow along on her sober travel adventures in the show notes. Let's get into it. Well, I'm so happy that you are here today. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) That you're living such a beautiful life. Like, you have such an amazing life in New York. You are constantly traveling, seeing the world to your beautiful, sober eyes. And so I would love to dive into that a little bit. I know that you've previously told me the story of your first sober vacation when you were sober from alcohol. So if people want to hear that story, you're going to have to go back to... Was it our taboo topics in sobriety? Ooh, yeah, you have a good memory. It was taboo yeah. topics in sobriety. And then tell me about your first sober vacation after that one, when you were fully sober, like not, no longer Cali sober. Okay. I, when, when was my first sober trip? That was it. Okay. So then I went to. I guess more what I'm trying to get at is. You do so much traveling now sober. You're seeing these incredible places all over the world. And I'd love to get your perspective on how has that experience changed for you from traveling when you were drinking, partying, now going on your own as a single sober woman into these new environments? Because I recently had my first sober vacation and it was hard. So how do you navigate that? Like what, tell me everything. I think when I traveled before, like travel, by the way, has been the most amazing human experience I've gone through. Like I I genuinely like live to travel. (laughs) Like Mm. I don't travel to live. Like I I literally like can't imagine life without travel. Um, I do recognize that not everyone gets to travel. So like I take it, I don't take it for granted. Like I'm very grateful for that. I would say the biggest shift has been just like, operating from a safety standpoint, like (laughs) I'm a lot safer than I was before, because when you travel and you go to these like foreign places, even if you're like nearby in your city, it doesn't matter. Like if you go somewhere that you're not from and that in in and of itself can be a risk, just because like there are various factors that you were just not akin to before you go there. Right. Like, so going somewhere foreign or away and being sober has given me clarity um, it's given me the opportunity to 
remember because I'm a blackout drinker, classic blackout drinker. So I would have a few, of course, my tolerance grew, but I also was the type of person that drank to feel something like I'm not just drinking because I like the taste. Like I want to feel something. The problem is there was a very small window of time between me feeling something and me blacking out. (laughs) So there's that. And time after time, you would think I would learn to regulate that, but I never really did. So I would go to these places and I would mainly be focused on drinking. Um, That was my main yeah, that was the main attraction. So like, for example, I went to Italy one year with two friends and I love Italy, but like the big draw for me, the big attraction was like, oh, wine mm. and that wine culture. And then of course it's like, I'm not just having a couple glasses. Like I'm drinking all day in the hot Italian sun. So I'm blocking out and like I get sloppy. And then there's like all of these unaccounted moments in the trip. And it's like, did I have a good time? or not to like can I look at these photos to like maybe piece together what I did like that kind of thing when I first started traveling sober I made sure that I kind of broke up the the monotony of doing things that centered around drinking which was easy because I wasn't you know drinking so I would take more solo trips I think because when you take a solo trip you're able to frame the trip or design the trip around your intentions, I'll say, your genuine intentions, um, <laughs> your genuine intentions. Um, so it's really nice to be able to, yeah, just plan what you want to do and not necessarily be anchored down to other people. And I do like to travel with friends, don't get me wrong, but there's nothing like being able to wake up and say, what do I want to do today? And when it's, what do I want to do today? And it's not centered around drinking, that just makes for an even better day. So I don't know if that answered your question exactly, but like when I travel now, I have a very clear vision of what I want to do. I'm a planner. So like, Mm. that's always something that I think about ahead of time, but I'm also like thinking about, okay, if I go here, I don't have to worry about how I'm getting there. I don't need to worry about how I'm getting back um, because I'm, I trust myself now. Like I, I have a proven track record that I'm able to go outside of my comfort zone and experience something different without needing to cope with alcohol. That's not something that I would have been able to do before. And I even think like a lot of people here when they first get sober in the beginning, it's you have to be mindful of people, places and things Mm -hmm. and routines even. And so when you remove yourself from those things, like routine is so big and integral to people's early sobriety that it can be daunting. It can be a little a little scary, to be honest, if you're like, oh, I've been doing this, I've been doing well in this very controlled environment, like to take myself out of that controlled environment is scary. It may be anxiety inducing, but if you go in with a clear plan, if you're very intentional about like, these are the things I want to do, leave some room for magic, you know, (laughs) but for the most part, (laughs) like know what you want. But like, yeah, it's like, it's, it makes for a better experience because, you know, if something does go awry, you can have a backup plan or you can have a coping strategy, right? Like maybe you need to pull from your sober toolbox, but like just go into it with like an open mind and a clear plan, if that makes sense. That's how I've been traveling and how I found success in sober travel as of lately. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of having a plan, like before you even arrive, have an idea of the things you want to see, the places you want to go. And I can imagine that 
going on a trip sober, you're more likely to see a lot more of the beauty and the offerings that that location has to offer versus if you're going and everything is centered around drinking, you're not really seeing the culture of the city or country you're in. Exactly. I think my first sober trip actually, because I was like, when did I take? Yeah, you're right. The first trip I took without alcohol was a success, but I was still dabbling with like edibles and stuff. And that's when I went to summer 2021 to like four different countries in Europe. Right. But then I came back and I went to Guatemala and Guatemala was good for me. Um, Two places I went twice. Okay. So I went to Mexico again, which was good. And I went to Guatemala again, which was good. And to experience that travel from a completely different lens is transformative in and of itself because all of the things that I was so like busy and preoccupied with before which was always like like I mentioned like drink 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 like we're gonna go to brunch we're gonna drink we're going to a vineyard and we're gonna drink or we're going here and there like I wasn't concerned about any of that I saved money um I also like found that I was making better connections with people that were more authentic I remembered the trip um I'm also very generous drunk so like going back to the saving money piece like I'm the type of person like I'll buy you shots I'll buy you whatever like I I I don't do that anymore yeah I'm most likely not at the bar and I'm also like not just throwing money away at strangers that I don't know so that's nice and yeah I think the safety piece has been the biggest thing because I put myself in so many compromising situations I just on my podcast last week was recalling my 30th birthday in Tulum not Tulum, I'm sorry, in Cabo. And that birthday was a solo trip. And the last like really drunk trip I took. No, damn, no, it wasn't. (laughs) It should have been. It wasn't. It was one of the final drunk trips I took. But long story short, like I had my wallet stolen. I passed out at a beach club. I threw up and buried my vomit in the sand. I like, I almost missed my flight. It was, it was just like such a gross, terrible experience. And if you looked on social, you would have seen like this goddess just ascending from the sea. Like I looked amazing. Yeah. I, I was like, I pretended that everything was great, but there were so many points when I also got solicited again for a threesome, that trip. Oh There's just something about me that says, Hey, I don't know. I've never had one. You not against stay, it, but like. You've got to stay on <laughs> Tulum. Like you could not I, be going to Tulum again. <laughs> this is, this, well, this is Cabo now. Oh, this is Cabo. Like. again it happened but like long story short like I'm very flirty so maybe I'm just sending off wrong (laughs) messages wrong vibes but yeah it was just a situation where I drank too much got really drunk but also like could have ended up anywhere um did end up in my bed from the kindness of strangers getting me there um but yeah, not learning my lesson because that's happened multiple times. Going back to Guatemala the second time sober with my friend was amazing. I just got to see more than I did the first time. I have memories that I can take with me and I had fun the first time. I don't want to like undermine all of my drunk experiences and say that like they were all terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I was doing to myself was terrible, but like I have some fond, fun me- memories like yeah, um, from that time. And if it wasn't if it was all bad, like I wouldn't have done it for so long. You know, there were definitely highs, but the lows were so low um, to our point earlier. So yeah, yeah, it's just nice to like go back to a place that you've been drunk and see it from a different light. And do you find that it was easy to stick to your sobriety when on these vacations? I think it gets easier. And I think it depends on a number of things. So my recommendation 
for anyone who's taking a trip is you have to think about your company. So of course you do the planning. I think depending on where you go may pose a little bit of a threat. So I was just telling Keisha before, like, I'm going to Berlin in a few weeks and Keisha's been to Berlin before I haven't. And I I just keep hearing how much of a like fun city it is, but fun is also like code for party city. And so rave. Yeah. Like they have these crazy, like 24 hour raves and things like that. So I am going to have to have a very clear plan going into this Mm -hmm. trip, especially because my friend who's going there is a DJ you know, he has all the memberships to all the houses. So like, we're going to be in very, like, very specific environment that could be triggering for me if I'm being honest with myself. And so that's the key piece too. I have to be honest with myself going into the trip. Had I, you know, a year ago with like maybe six months of sobriety under my belt be considering Berlin, Absolutely not, because I was not strong enough (laughs) at that juncture in my sobriety to take on something like that. Who knows? I could get there and everything could fall apart. I'll I'll to be determined. (laughs) But for the most part, it won't. I know. Like for the most part, I really feel solid and that's why I'm going. Mm -hmm. But like I need to have an exit strategy. I have to know because I have an exit strategy here. You know, like I feel comfortable being able to go out here. And if I don't like it, like if I'm not feeling the vibes, if everyone is drunk and, you know, not on my level, then I'm going to dismiss myself and kindly leave. Going into a foreign place or foreign city, like I need to also have a game plan about what I'm going to do. If I'm going out with my two friends and they like to party and literally my friend is going to be DJing at an event, I'm going to be having that conversation with him up front ahead of time. Like, hey, you already know, like if I go home, like don't take it. I'm not staying until the lights turn on. Yes. And that kind of thing. Right. Like, don't be offended if I miss your set. Like, and you know, like that's a part of like trusting myself, having boundaries, also like for me, like I'll have boundaries, but not necessarily communicate them and then feel salty or resentful. If people like, don't just know, they just don't yeah. understand me. People it's like, don't go know and tell them. You tell them. I agree a hundred percent on that. So I have to like, let him know in advance, like, Hey dude, like, great. You're performing here. I'm so proud of you. I'll come. But like you said, like, I'm not staying until lights on. Like if I feel triggered ahead of time, if I feel like I'm just tired, like I also have to disclose why I'm leaving. Like, just know if I leave, I love you. I wish you the best. I'll see you tomorrow kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah, for sure. That's good. Well, I'm glad that you have that relationship with your friends going that you can set that tone before you get there. I think that is a really key part of traveling and sobriety for sure. Can I ask, what was your yeah. experience like going to the airport and on an airplane oh. sober? Cause that was like an unexpected, like, I don't want to say trigger, but it was kind of, it was a lot more uncomfortable than I really gave any kind of thought to. For me, I was going to an all inclusive vacation in Mexico. So I thought for Mm. me, it's going to be there. It's going to be seeing people drinking in the pool, seeing people at the sumap bar, the mimosas at breakfast. And really the most shocking part for me was the airport and the flight. The airport is like a lawless land when it comes to drinking. It's like a casino. Oh, all rules out the window. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a casino. Like the there's no clocks anywhere and people are fucking drinking around the clock. Yep. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I forgot about airports. Yeah, airports are the worst. The worst. <laughs> um, I've gotten I've gotten better now. 
I'm chronically late. I'm like, that's just like me and my DNA. So I intentionally now use that to my advantage because like, I will plan it down to like as limited time as I have to be. <laughs> like the you're airport. running like, through the airport. Yeah. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Like it's, it's embarrassing, I that feeling. but, um, I, it's that's triggering too because then I'll get on the flight. I've been offered, ugh, I, I forgot all about all of this. I've been offered on the flight like courtesy upgrades. Like here's a glass of champagne. I'm like, get that out of my face. Yeah. Like <laughs> I do not want a courtesy. Just give me my upgrade, my free seat, and like yeah, let's keep and give moving. me some food. <laughs> yeah, give me some food. Thank you. Give me some water. You just you see I'm hopping and puffing because I just ran yeah. through the terminal. Um, champagne my ass. But yeah, to your point, like yeah. So I'm I'm very strategic about the airport there was a video I, I filmed actually one my first sober trip um where I was just like I like projects so I tell people like have a little project like go in like with an intention like you're about to go on this vacation so of course you're buzzing but like you can sometimes channel that energy into something that's going to be productive so like obviously like you and I we make content so like that's what I do Keisha like I will like bust out my laptop like I'll yeah. sit in a co coffee shop like usually there's a Starbucks just get me away from the bar as like far away as possible I'll sit in a Starbucks I'll have my headphones I'll edit I'll do something and then I'll set a timer because like I said I'm always late yeah. so I'll set a timer for when it's time to actually go to my gate I don't even like to sit by the gate um, because even that for me is triggering because I was the type of person that like, if I get to the airport early, because I've missed flights, true story, I've missed flights sitting at the bar, like the airport bar, oh, I, I would take to go cups. Like, and sometimes like you have to talk to the bartender because sometimes they won't let you, but yeah. like, this is me like giving people bad advice. Like you yeah. can talk them into it. You're like, oh, just pour it in this cup and like, it will be fine. So I would do that, which is really bad. But long story short, um, I would say, yeah, it's definitely triggering to be on a flight. It's, But I would say the airport is no man's land, as you mentioned. There's even this terminology because we're not alone in this thought. So if you're in like um, AA, for example, they have this whole like um, code. Have you heard of it? Where you can say paging. Oh, I think Bill so. W. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, you can say on the internet, like you can go to any gate essentially and like they have to comply. I shouldn't say they have to, who knows? I was told they have to comply yeah, and they'll they page will. Bill W. Yeah, like they're they're hopefully understanding, but like they'll page you'll say paging Bill W to blah 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 gate. And that lets someone know that you're in crisis or that you need sober support. And like, apparently someone will come over. Someone who's I also in the that. program. Like they don't have in people the just at the airport. It's like somebody traveling. No. That would be nice if they just had like a whole designated crew of people ready to like disperse Imagine. on the scene. Um, that would be great. But no, it's supposed to be for people in the program and they'll come over, have a chat with you. Maybe you guys can get coffee or they, they can talk yeah. you down from whatever thoughts you're having. But yeah, I think just like going off of what you said, like it's no man's land. Drinking, you can drink at any time of the day without anyone fluttering an eyelid mm. in your direction when and you're my at the flight airport. was 9 a.m. and like people were drinking before getting on the flight. As soon as they started handing out drinks, like I was watching all the little bottles go out and like no judgment on my part because like a year and a half ago, that would have been me also. That would have been me. 100%. Like, I'm going on an all-inclusive vacation. What else am I going to do besides pregame on the flight? Like, that was just, like, a standard part of the process. But sitting there, like, a year sober and, like, watching it play out and then seeing, like, what people were getting multiple, like, hitting that call button multiple times, 
I was just yeah. like, I was like, I'm getting anxiety sitting here. And then that on my flight home, people were still drinking. And like, there was like a really nice couple beside me, but they were like having like a few wines as well. And you're in such close quarters that I could like smell it. And I haven't smelled like a glass of red wine in so long that I was like, my stomach is like turning, smelling this. No, that's really it hard. It was a lot actually, like harder than the trip because on the trip I was, I was with my mom, my stepdad, my best friend who they're all incredibly supportive. Like all these people. Yeah all these people that drink but by the end of it like half of my friends friends were listening to the podcast like in their room like going to bed like everybody was so excited about it and there was just so much support like during that week experience with all these like some people were strangers to me but just like extending that support and then I was back on the flight like kind of like not white knuckling it I don't want to say but like sitting beside strangers who are like pounding like mini wines I was like this is not a good feeling it's not, but I think almost sometimes if you treat it as like a sociological experiment in the sense of, or like put on like your sociologist mm. glasses and see it through the lens of like, this is interesting because like, to your point, that would be me. And like, what is this really saying? Like you're going back to your reality. This is for like the return trip, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're going home and you feel like you have to pound no judgment. Like I'm not yeah. saying it from like a, like a critical lens, like, Oh, you, you're an alcoholic, but yeah. like, what is that saying about the fact that like, you're trying to like grasp onto any final moments of escapism, like all the things we talked about, or you're trying to like forego, like, I don't know, stretch out any final wee hours of the vacation that you can get so that you can forget that you have a shitty life that you're going home to. And I know that's mean to say, but like, it's like this idea that like, why, why do we feel so, yeah, like, why do we need to numb our way through the Atlantic or wherever you're flying? Like, it's it's really like, if anything, (laughs) the Pacific, Pacific, okay. Me, it's like, I want to, not that like... (laughs) I can save the day if the plane goes down. But like, yeah. I want to be aware. I was like, in I the emergency know exit row. I was in the emergency oh. exit row. I was That's like, maybe like, you shouldn't be allowed to drink alcohol in that row. Thinking about it You know it what? Now. They should reserve that. That should be like a little VIP for sober people. Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. I, you need a clear head, buddy. Like you can't, you're yeah. sitting here like, yes, I, I promise that I will risk my life. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm right the right only now, one course. prepared in the row to, to pull that fucking thing down. It's crazy. It was interesting. And I guess it like a little bit like was not judgment, but just like an assumption for me thinking, okay, these people probably just like drank all week or two weeks, like, but not everybody like drinks on vacation the way I would have drank on vacation. So like maybe like the plane was like their big night and they had like three little wines. Who knows? But it's okay, just, it's I doubt interesting. that. They were very nice people. Like, they were very I doubt that they were saving their like their turn up for the last moment yeah. to go back to their to their yeah. life. You never yeah. know, right? But it was you just never like, know too. They didn't kind of strike me as the people who were like getting shit faced on vacation. They were, but you never you know. Never That's know. the thing, though. You yeah. never know. Yeah. yeah. I hope I didn't give off the energy <laughs> when people met me. Like, oh yeah, she got <laughs> shit faced this weekend like yeah no the fights are hard flights are definitely yeah it was harder than I expected so I actually even brought a shit ton of non-alcoholic drinks on my vacation I saw that that was so smart I've not done that but that's really smart yeah and I might not have done it if I was going to like an Airbnb style vacation but because it was an all-inclusive and I knew that people were going to be drinking all day I was like 
I brought like I bought like my best friend, her new husband, and myself like these like Stanley mugs because it's That's like so cute. you know when you're on the all inclusive and you want your like industrial like cup to keep it cold. But I was like, what am I gonna put in mine? Fucking water all day. So be hydrated. Yeah, I was the most hydrated on the trip. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely an experience, but it felt good. It was nice that everybody was supportive. And I made it back and I feel like then my first day back was like my 400th day sober. Amazing. Let me ask you though. So what was the wedding like? Because the last time I've been in a wedding, I was drunk. It was an mm -hmm. open bar situation. I'm assuming at an all-inclusive, it would be open bar as well for you. So what was that like? Well, the whole week was open bar, but <laughs> the day of the wedding, honestly, like I'm so glad that I was sober. I was the maid of honor. This is my best friend from high school. The original wedding was supposed to be in 2020. Um, there's been some changes in people's lives and losses since that original date. So like, it was so important for me that this day was fucking perfect for her and for her mom and her husband. So it was like, I feel like I was working. Like I was working at the resort. I was, I was doing everything I could to try and make sure everything went smoothly. And my friend is so thoughtful. Before we even got there, she had emailed the resort and the wedding planner to make sure that there would be non-alcoholic beers available. She inquired about what the non-alcoholic options were. That's amazing. So after the Good actual, friend. Yeah, she's the best. So after we, or they did the ceremony and we were all exiting from where it was, you know how they always hand like the bride and groom and everybody gets a glass of champagne. They handed yeah. me one and I was like, I was like, oh, no, thanks. And the guy's like, it's Sprite. So the resort Aww. like knew that I didn't drink and like they arranged for me to have like something in a glass so that I could toast. And yeah, so it was really nice. Um, the evening of the wedding, it honestly felt easy to not drink. I brought a Liars Classico can, which is kind of like their yeah. Prosecco dupe. So I had that at the, at the main dinner. And then it was just kind of like an adrenaline rush all day being the maid of honor. And then I was kind of like coasting. So I was like, I wouldn't even have wanted mm -hmm. to drink. It felt like, because like, I feel like my nervous system was like dysregulated from the day. Right. Wow. But yeah, it felt good. I ended up staying up until four in the morning. Everybody went to like the disco after and like, I was tired, but I was like, I can't go to bed before the bride and I can't go to the bed, no. especially um. before the bride's mom. And she fucking stayed up until four in the morning. So I was like, I have to stay, obviously. But, I love that. Yeah, it was really, it was really fun. And the disco was fun. Like you didn't feel like fish out of the water. I don't have anything to drink, so I can't dance. You still were able to be your authentic self. Yeah, and I think because like the resort wasn't that busy, so it was mostly just our crew. Like there was 40 people there for the wedding and the disco was like pretty much like just us and maybe like a handful of other people until another wedding like showed up. So it's not okay. like it was like a packed nightclub that I was having to maneuver. Yeah. It was all our people. So like people would go to the bar and like bring me back like a water with lime. Um, even throughout the week, like some of the people would like go to the bar, bring me back a non-alcoholic, like mango, like mojito. Like I was just like thought of, it's not like everyone's coming back with alcohol and they're like, oh shit, sorry. Like people like made a conscious effort I love, the whole time. I love, I love that. I love how you say sorry. And I also love how <laughs> it's like you can, you can mix drinks and like, you're not going to have a hangover. Yeah. Right. Like, it was like, I have this, I have this. It's like, I can take it all. Yeah. Great. 
Yeah, and I felt great the next morning. I don't know how, like, the bride still woke up before me, and I was like, you guys had a night, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was really good, and I was so happy to be sober for the experience. It sounds like you could show up for your friend in such a greater capacity mm -hmm. sober than you would have because I was made of honor for my cousin. This is a few years ago, and I don't remember giving her and her husband a speech, but I was told after the fact that I messed up like the length of time they were together. Oh, like, no. I was like, yeah, you guys have been in together for like a beautiful like seven years, and it had been like last one more. I don't even remember oh, it wasn't yeah. that like the time it was just like a mess and like I just I drove home I had to pull over the oh, side shit. of the street because my friends were like you're swerving like we'll drive and then like I ended up like jumping on the hotel bed and hitting my head everyone thought I might have a concussion oh, it was like it was bad so yeah definitely would love an opportunity opportunity to redeem myself I redo, so, yeah. but it was looking for a maid of honor <laughs> I'm available it's funny because I was a maid of honor as well like probably like seven years ago to another friend and it was just such a different experience like not to say like I didn't enjoy it as much but it didn't feel as like meaningful and yeah. like, I remember like, you know how everybody does their entrance after the wedding, like I was going in with the groom's brother and like our everybody had to do like a thing when they came in. And our <laughs> thing was like we, that we took a shot and like threw the shot glass because we were both like the, the crazy ones. And it's ah! like, it's so tacky. <laughs> like, and just such a difference of like how that wedding versus like this wedding will remain in my memory, you know? I love that that was your signature move. <laughs> like, like, how embarrassing. How embarrassing. But like also like, yeah, I'm just like, friend, like you know that you're that person where it's like people buy you merch. Like I would like <laughs> receive Christmas presents with like soccer's like, like socks that had like wine on it. It's like little quirky sayings about yeah. drinking. And I'm like, yeah, if you can read these, bring wine. Yeah, just like, yeah, random stuff like that. Like yeah. it's one o'clock somewhere. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I hate that stuff. <laughs> I hate that stuff now too. It's so cheesy. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I have one final question for you um, before we wrap up here. And this is something that I ask all my guests on the show. And okay. that's what's one thing that you wish you knew about sobriety before getting sober? That's a good question. One thing I wish I knew. I think I wish I would have known how much my self-esteem would improve. Like I wish I would have known that because I think I thought that I had a semblance, some semblance of self-worth, but truly I think when you are stuck in this spiral of addiction, the way that I was and using it to numb and self-medicate and escape and just forego or lose myself, when you were operating from that place, you don't love yourself. Like you, you can't, it's not even that you don't want to, it's just that you can't, you can't truly just like how you couldn't show up for your friend in the same way that you did this, mm -hmm. this time for her, because you were sober and you had clarity and you prioritize the things that mattered. Like I didn't prioritize anything that mattered. The only thing I prioritized really was having a good time, like partying and making sure that I experienced no discomfort. I think that's a big part of a part of who I was too like I was just so afraid of like being in pain because when I when I think about years prior like when my drinking really did take on a new role was when my dad died like that's the most pain I've ever experienced and so like 
I never wanted to feel it again. And mm-hmm. so even though like I was in this process of, you know, I did grieve, I definitely mourned and I, I went through therapy. I, I still wasn't really getting to the root cause of what was driving a lot of my drinking. And so that was, of course, impacting my self-worth because I was doing things in a drunken state that was so bad for me. Mm-hmm. So I wish I would have known that in order to truly like start healing and start loving yourself and start respecting yourself and valuing yourself the way you deserve, you needed to lose something. And the loss really wasn't a loss. It was a gain because I gained a new sense of true confidence. I think people on the outside looking in could have looked at me and said, oh, her life is amazing. She looks good. She travels, right? She, she lives in a big city. Mm. She's, 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 somebody that maybe I even aspire to be, right? Like that's the image I was going for. That's what I wanted to give off. But had they really known how broken I was, how how toxic I was, I, I think they would have rethought maybe, um, re- I mean, not even rethought, but like it's not for them to rethink. I rethought who I was yeah. and had to ch- make some changes. And the biggest change was getting sober. So I wish I would have known that, I would exponentially grow in my personal development and also just the way I see myself because I was willing to experience discomfort, do the work, and then start to really see a positive change. I love that. It's beautiful and so, so true. Okay. Thank you. Nadine, thank you so much. What is the best way for those listening to follow you, connect with you, listen to the Sober Butterfly podcast? I am available anywhere that you type in the Sober Butterfly. Um, I have a podcast, as Keisha mentioned, and we talked about. So you can find me on Spotify. You can find me on Apple. You can also go over to thesoberbutterfly.com. Everything is housed there as well. I have a blog. I also have a YouTube channel by the same name. And of course, you can find me on Instagram at the period, don't forget the period, Sober Butterfly. Perfect. I will tag everything in the show notes so that everyone can find you. Thank you so much for your time. This was so fun. I enjoyed my convo with you. Thank you. This is Keisha signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find me at donewithdebauchery.com or follow along on Instagram at Done With Debauchery. Thanks for listening.